Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now, knowing the confirmands as I do, and one of them in particular, I can pretty much guarantee that these last 10 years that they've been in learning mode here at Zion have probably seemed like it's taken a long time to get here. Am I right? There's been a long time coming. I see a few nods. Sunday morning, Sunday school, Wednesday evening, Kids Jam, Glow, Summer VBS, VBS there. See some of our confirmands there several years ago. I don't know exactly what, this, what year this was, 2014, 2015, 2016, somewhere in there. Bible Explorers Club, confirmation classes, all of these things have taken forever to get to this point. Am I right? I'm right. <laughs> Getting up early Sunday mornings, having to use their brains on Wednesday evenings after being at school all day, no fun. Managing a busy schedule with extracurricular sports and music and other school activities, you guys have had it tough. Having to give up maybe time with other friends, binge watching your favorite Netflix shows, video games, oh man, they've had it really rough. You guys have had to suffer through a lot. <laughs> On the other hand, there are benefits to being connected here at Zion. Am I right? This is just one of the times that several of our students went out together. You've got friends here. You've got adults that care about you. You've got opportunities to explore that relationship with your creator, whether it's here at Zion or serving out in the community, whether it's going on mission trips, national youth gathering, other outings like the time we went tubing, Best of all, best of all, listen to this, the food. We eat well. Just today we're going to have donuts and cake. We get to have potlucks pretty much all year round. Yeah, we have a lot of good things at Zion. And you would think that with this foundation of faith over the past decade and more and all the good things that are happening here at Zion, that this would be a connection for these students that would be nearly impossible to break. Unfortunately, the statistics tell a different story. A recent LCMS study tells us that 43% of our confirmands probably won't be seen again consistently attending this church. That same study says by the time they graduate high school, 75% of our confirmands won't be connected to any church at all. 75%. So what's going on? What's to blame and how do we fix this? Or is it just the way it is in what some call our post-church or post-Christian Western culture? Are we destined to see our children and grandchildren fall away and desert Christ's church? Well, friends, what I'm certain of is at the end of our time together today, there is far more good news than there is doom and gloom. In fact, all three of our readings, if you were listening, talked a little bit about the hard and tough times that were going to be happening in God's future. But ultimately, they bring us back, especially Mark chapter 13 in Jesus' words, bring us back around to the hope that we can all hold on to, the confirmands and everyone else who calls Christ their Savior. In truth... God's people and the Christian church over the past nearly 2,000 years have time and time again come under attack. But 
through the power of God's Spirit working through men and women like you and these soon-to-be adults, the redeemed by Jesus, His church has withstood these attacks. Not without pain, not without challenge, and most of all, not without change. And who are going to be the agents of change in the coming years? Well, you're looking at them right here and out there. Let's hear what Jesus has to say to us. In the full chapter of Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, of which we only heard a portion, Jesus gives us an apocalyptic view. Apocalyptic means nothing more than what's coming in the future, a forecasting of the ultimate destiny of the world. Don't get this confused with weather forecasting, right? They can do a pretty good job sometimes, but other times they're way off. What Jesus forecasts for us is God's truth to us and is full of promises for us. Jesus, in the full chapter 13, gives us 19 different imperatives or commands or directives. Jesus is not simply sharing information with us to satisfy our curiosity about future events, but to give us actually some very practical advice, things that we ought to be doing and we should be doing. Jesus was preparing his disciples and beyond them, us today, to live and witness in an overly hostile world. Before Jesus even commissioned his followers and established his church after his resurrection, he's giving them warnings about what's going to take place in the future, the challenges that they would face. Well, and I don't know about you, but I take some peace from knowing that I have a God that gives us warnings about what will come. He doesn't say, just wipe his hands and say, well, whatever's going to happen, say la vie. And for the gospel writers to write God's truth down for us, it's wonderful and it gives me a lot of peace. Let's get into our text. Mark chapter 13, verse 1 starts out kind of randomly. He, Jesus, came out of the temple and one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Bible scholars tell us that this is taking place on Tuesday of what we would call Holy Week. Two days after the triumphant entry, his processional into Jerusalem, and two days away from Monday, Thursday, where he would institute the Lord's Supper for us. Think about that week, an emotional roller coaster, to say the least. So as they're leaving the temple, a disciple comments on the magnificence of the buildings. And understand this isn't the comment from a tourist who's never seen these things before. He was well aware of things. So Bible scholars here think he was probably trying to encourage Jesus. Because in this last journey to Jerusalem by Jesus, he had experienced a lot of pushback by the Jewish leaders. Several times being questioned with an intent to trick him and thereby discredit his ministry. So the disciple may have had it in his heart to urge Jesus on, to urge him not to give up. Maybe he was thinking of Psalm 48 when he made this declaration. Psalm 48 calls on the Israelites to walk around Jerusalem and think about the magnificence of the buildings as a reminder of what? Of God being with them forever. Psalm 48, verse 12 to 14, just a portion of the psalm, says, Go inspect the city of Jerusalem. Walk around and count the many towers. Take note of all the fortified walls and two are all the citadels that you may describe them to future generations. For that is what God is like. He is our God forever. 
and he will guide us until we die. So despite all the conflicts that week that Jesus faced, the high emotions of that week, the disciple is pointing Jesus to the buildings as a way of saying, look, God is with you. And the disciple also wasn't wrong about the temple and the surroundings being wonderful. The second temple was amazing. It was under a massive building project under Herod the Great. The courtyard had been greatly enlarged to what it was before. Listen to this, 400 yards by 500 yards. Four football fields length by five football fields length. Some of us here today know what a football field size is. That is huge. But it had to accommodate the large number of Jews and other visitors who came to Jerusalem during the high festivals. To increase this size, we understand that a huge platform had to be erected to compensate for the sharp dropping off to the Valley of Kidron. And some of the massive stones used in the construction of the wall can still be seen there today. In addition to the temple building itself, this platform stood huge covered porches on top of it and courtyards flanked by beautiful columns. The temple area, get this, was over one-sixth of the entire city of Jerusalem. One-sixth of the entire city was taken up by the temple. It's an architectural wonder, and its size and its location dominated the ancient city. Even today, from certain angles, that is what you see of Jerusalem. And when you see just the fragments of that wonderful temple in person, it is still pretty amazing. So the disciple comments on the wondrous surroundings. But Jesus, as he so often did, uses his disciples' remark as a teachable moment about perspectives and priorities, giving them even a glimpse into the future. Verse 2, Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, I'm guessing that Jesus knows a little bit about the shock value of predicting the temple's destruction when it wasn't even finally completed yet. It was still in progress. It's like he's saying, you think this is pretty awesome? Let me tell you about what's coming in the future. Now, if you've spent any time at all with this text, you know that Jesus' proclamation in this one verse is giving us three possible perspectives of future events. First of all, he's foretelling his own coming death in just a few days. He's predicting a decades away destructive event that would leave the supposed permanent temple in ruins. And Jesus is also pointing us to the end times when the need for this earthly man-made temple will be done and gone. Earthly temple won't be needed at the end of time. We'll be with Jesus in heaven. So Jesus' comment here must have come as a great shock to his friends. Because what they're hearing is that this magnificent temple that they are admiring, it's not a permanent structure and offers no guarantee of future security. It's part of this fallen creation that will eventually pass away. Great though the temple building is, everything would be completely destroyed. And this prophecy was fulfilled in 70 A.D. when Jerusalem, the temple, and most of the city was destroyed by the Roman general Titus. All of the buildings on the temple platform, including the temple itself, were utterly destroyed. So completely were they destroyed that no trace of any of them exists today. 
Even their exact location on Temple Mount is a little bit disputed where exactly things would have been. We don't know because it's just a fragment that's left. The Wailing Wall, what we see today as part of Temple Mount, it's only a portion of the remaining retaining wall for what is just a fragment of the once huge platform. Now, in the minds of the disciples, Jesus' words must have brought them to thinking about the end of time because they knew that the temple was supposed to be permanent and forever. So they ask Jesus a question, and they ask it in two parts. They say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will the sign be when all these things are about to be, be accomplished? So in a lengthy teaching throughout the rest of the chapter, Jesus addresses both parts of this question. But again, Jesus, as he so often did, he answers a more important question rather than focusing on exactly what the disciples are asking him. You see, he's not as concerned with dates and times and events. No, he's interested in building relationships with them, spending his remaining short few days with them, trying to prepare them for the trials that are certainly coming. And my friends, it's in the midst of trials where we most certainly find ourselves today. The first words that Jesus has for us are in the Greek, peyetete. Take heed, be vigilant, watch out. There are warnings of all sorts that happen throughout the rest of this chapter in Mark. Verses 5 and 6, the first of the warnings. Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. He tells our confirmands and the rest of us to be on guard for those who claim to be me. Or better yet, if they claim to have a different and better promise of truth than what you know in the Bible, you need to watch out. Because there are so many false claims out there today. Even by people proposing to be Christians there are false claims about what it takes to be saved. There are false claims about what it takes to be a Christian. Are you truly a Christian unless you do these certain things? Now I'm going to get the confirmand's attention right here because I'm going to put them on a spot a little bit. I didn't prepare them for this in advance, so we're going to see how well they do. I figure I had to answer 80 questions in front of my congregation when I did this many years ago. I'm going to ask you guys one, and I know you already know the answer. How do you receive salvation? One word. What does it take to receive salvation? How are you saved? What did you say last night? Faith. Your faith statements. Good job. We can go forward with the confirmation right now. <laughs> yeah. That is how we receive salvation. Faith. That is it. So good job. You passed. And as we have been talking about, especially recently, all of those other pieces of your relationship with Jesus come through that faith that you have. How we act towards our parents, how we deal with our friends, how we maybe have a job, or how we play sports or play music, how we spend our time on screens and off screens. <laughs> that love that Jesus has for you and the building of faith inside of you since you were baptized, the death that Jesus died for you, it was enough. And I need you to really hear this. 
that death that Jesus died for you is enough. It's enough to carry you through every challenge, whether it be a big challenge or a small one. The faith that you carry with you is enough to get through every lie that the world and our culture will try to get you to believe, not only about salvation, but about yourselves. Because anytime you hear that you're not strong enough or good enough or skilled enough, here it comes. Anytime you hear those things, understand what Jesus did for you. Don't believe for a minute that Jesus died for you so that you could believe a bunch of lies that have no bearing in truth because his sacrifice proves otherwise. Jesus says we need to watch out for those who are going to intentionally and maybe even unintentionally try to lead us astray. You're going to hear that there are many ways to salvation, that just being a good person is good enough, that church stuff isn't really all that important and that you should fill your lives up with all sorts of stuff so that you can be happy and fulfilled. So Jesus says, watch out. Now the next thing Jesus says I also take comfort in. He says, be watchful, but not fearful. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. But these are but the beginning of the birth pains. We'll start with that last underlying portion of the passage. All these things that Jesus is talking about are a precursor to the real thing at the end of time. All these things that he mentions, arms wars, races, border disputes, natural and man-made disasters, don't immediately assume because you see those things on the TV that the end is imminent. I'm going to trick question, not only for the students, but for everyone else in here. How long have there been disputes or wars or fighting among humans? Well, let's see. How about always? Ever since Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, all the way to the end of time in the book of Revelation and what it talks about, there has been fighting among humans. Because we live in a world that sin has corrupted. But the good news is that God is still in control. Jesus says here in Mark and in so many other places throughout Scripture that we are called to always watch for God's hand in everything that we see going on in the world, whether it be good or bad. Because folks spend an inordinate amount of time trying to make literal sense about what the Bible says about the end of time and when it will come trying to mark off those years and those dates and those times to forecast judgment day. But Jesus' words here are so critical for us. But concerning that day and that hour, no one knows. Don't be sidetracked by trying to know the unknowable. We have in the Bible what God has shared with us. We cannot presume to know anything else but what's there. Don't allow political trouble political division, human manufactured problems, sickness, persecution, and pain distract us from our work. And our work is the Lord's work. Now in the remainder of the verses, Jesus is going to summarize for the disciples what is going to happen to them after Pentecost, the exact things that are recorded in the book of Acts. The disciples are going to be persecuted. They're going to be hauled into court. They're going to be cross-examined by the authorities and worse. 
families are going to turn against families, things would be bad. Now, there's a whole lot more that I could say about Mark chapter 13, the the content and the context here of these verses. But I want to wrap up with these words of Jesus so that we can hang on to that hope that he gives us, the hope that we have for our confirmands and the hope that we have for ourselves. After all these warnings, all these predictions and the directive to be watchful and not fearful, Jesus shares with us the outcome for those who listen to him. Are you ready? Here's his final critical piece. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The author of the book of Hebrews also, if you were listening to that epistle lesson, he ends in a similar way. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Let us consider how to stir up in one another to love and good works, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Today our five confirmands Today marks the end of the beginning of their early faith years. Today they take that next step to fortify those statements and promises that were made at their baptism, at this baptismal font. And students, you're going to experience joys in your life. You're going to experience troubles in your life. Some of you already know what trouble in your life looks like. But know that as a son or daughter of the living God, You have a foundation stronger than any lies that the world and culture try to tell you. None of the sin, none of the evil in the world can stand up against the foundation of faith that you have. So hold fast. Be careful. Remain watchful. Encourage one another. And most of all, remember that your faith journey is the most important journey you're going to have in your life. And right now it's just at the very beginning. And the rest of us can't wait to see what you do next. In Jesus' name, amen.